On this week's TICE podcast, we discuss contact tracing apps, the smartphone software which, according to the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, is to be available in weeks in the UK. The idea is the app alerts users when someone they were recently near becomes infected with COVID-19, a good way of slowing down the spread of the virus, but at what cost to our privacy? Charity Wright, former NSA Chinese offensive operative and cyber threat analyst at global threat intelligence firm Insights, joins us this week, where she outlines her concerns about this type of data tracking, what she would like the UK government to be clear on with the use of this tech, and how this might impact the relationship between the state and the citizen. I'm Anna Delaney, editor at TICE, and this is The Interview. So Charity, according to a recent survey commissioned by the Financial Times, nearly two thirds of Britons are in favour of letting the government use mobile phones to track coronavirus sufferers and inform others they may be at risk. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's typical of any population that is going through something as tragic as a pandemic. Um, There's a lot of fear circulating around the world right now. And people tend to look for that one thing that they know for sure. Like right now, it's so hard to find information that you know is true. Like who do, we, who do you trust? And in these times, I think it's, it's common for people to look to their governments, to their leaders, or to their faith, or whatever they put their, their trust in. Um, and they look to them for protection, At first, when I saw the survey, I was like, oh, wow, that's a lot of people. I wonder if they understand the inherent risks that are involved in giving the government access to their, let's say, geolocation or Bluetooth tracking of their phone. But um, I think that people are weighing the risks and the benefits and deciding that they'd rather be protected from a deadly pandemic and they're willing to sacrifice a little bit of privacy. So Um, tell me more about the risks. Yeah. Well, I see this somewhat, okay, I respect the researchers that are coming up with these ideas of how to do what they call contact tracing, like um, who you have been in contact with physically, like your physical being. Um, And they're thinking digitally. They're thinking, okay, everyone has a smartphone. Everyone has Bluetooth or GPS. Why don't we use that? to find out who has been in close contact with each other. And I I respect the thinking behind that, but it's also problematic for a couple of reasons. One is that this sets a precedence that has never been set before in many of these democratic countries. We've seen this kind of behavior from governments like China, Russia, Iran, Um, Venezuela, anywhere where the government has a lot of control. Um, But in democratic countries like the UK and the United States, Canada and elsewhere, we've never seen this type of of precedence. So this sets a new precedence that the government can implement this kind of technology to maintain some kind of control over the population. and it's interesting how they're going about it. I know in, the, in certain areas of the world, the governments are posing it as an option. Like if you opt in to this program, you can self-report if you have coronavirus. That way, anybody that has had 
contact or near contact with you will be contacted and anonymously reported that they've had close contact with you. So I think it's, you know, concerning that these governments are setting this new precedence that they can use people's personal technology to track them. Um, but on the other hand, it seems like they're going about it in a way where they're taking people's concerns into consideration. Okay, and, and if it is an option, if they contribute their data anonymously, do you think that can work? Yeah, it can be very functional. Um, yes, it should work. However, it can also be broken. Any type of technology application or system that's set up like this is vulnerable because humans are managing it. And that is how it is with any, um, any cybersecurity issue today. Like usually a company like Apple or Google will go through many, many months of testing before they release a new version of an application. They'll have professional hackers pen testing it which is basically, you know, trying to get into the application or break it or hack it somehow. Um, and you have to wonder if the governments and agencies that are implementing this new contact tracing through technology, if they're really doing the necessary testing first, or if they're going to rush it to market, which will make it more vulnerable to hackers. So that's my main concern is that, uh, you know, right now I work as a intelligence analyst, mostly in the dark web sector. My company specializes in collecting um, valuable cyber threat intelligence from criminal undergrounds. And what we're observing is that there's just this huge influx of threat actors, hackers that are very financially motivated and very motivated to take advantage of this coronavirus pandemic. And so my concern about this privacy issue is that these governments are going to start implementing the use of this technology and hackers are equally, or with even more effort, they're going to be trying to break it, get into it and get access to people's GPS, Bluetooth, location data, and everything on their phones. There's also, this is health data. This is a lot more sensitive than other forms of data. Are you concerned about that as well? Absolutely. Um, protected health information is one of the most valuable sets of data that is sold and purchased on the dark web. It goes for very high prices. People are very sensitive about protecting their privacy about what's going on in their own bodies. Um, so even though some countries are saying you can self-report, um, I think when it comes down to somebody saying, okay, I was just diagnosed with coronavirus, I'm very sick, I think that's gonna be the last thing on their mind is, is the well-being of the rest of the population. And also, so many people that have had coronavirus feel this very unnecessary shame um, and stigma related to it as if they have to hide out and they have to, um, you know, what if, what if they're at fault for spreading it? And I think that 
people are going to be less likely to report than the governments are looking for. Um, but yeah, that PHI is very valuable. And if a hacker gets access to, let's say, your cell phone and you have your health insurance application on your phone or you have some kind of, um, you know, private data stored on that device, they're going to get a hold of it. Yeah, really interesting point about the stigma, actually. We've mentioned other countries are, are using this technology, South Korea and Israel, but obviously they are, they are different to the UK. They're, they're, they're used to greater surveillance. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an insight into why and how it's working well in these countries? It has to do with their culture, definitely more with their culture. They're very protective cultures, a little bit more isolated. And what I mean by that is that they really look out for their own more than other countries I've observed. Um, many people from my company live in Israel right now, and we've had interesting discussions around this, this issue, but it comes down to the fact that they're a little bit more used to that government intervention. Um, and they are willing to sacrifice a little bit of privacy for the greater good of their people. Um, and I think that, you know, that cultural norm is a huge factor in not only this subject, but also topics like government surveillance and the use of cameras in public and things like that. You can see the same kind of activity happening in those same countries. Um, as far as its success rate, you know, they also have very small populations and it's much easier to control a smaller population that is not as mobile and traveling around the world. Um, so I think each country has its own dynamic, its own culture and its own, you know, government system that really dictates how people will respond to this kind of thing. And if the UK were to implement this tech, what would you like the government to be clear on? What questions would you be asking about the tech and how it operates? I would definitely want to take a deep dive into the technology, have some professionals in the private sector and in the industry be accountable, um, you know, for inspecting the technology, looking through the processes and analyzing what really is at risk and what will be exposed. Um, and also for implementing security around, uh, around that process and around that policy. Also, I would expect them to set an end date. If this truly is temporary on behalf of a pandemic, then there has to be um, a decline in the pandemic or a point where infection rates have slowed to where they're comfortable saying, okay, this has worked up to this point, it's no longer needed. I think there, there definitely has to be a stop. Um, otherwise, they will, well, I'm not saying the government there will, but let's just say entities that obtain that kind of power tend to want to use it for other purposes too. So I would encourage anybody that is considering implementing this type of technology to survey their population, to actually be accountable to the people, be transparent with the constituency and let them know um, if they're being monitored and when it will stop.
Some argue that a temporary loss of privacy is acceptable if it means aiding a global crisis. You mentioned earlier this could set a new precedent. But do you think a loss of privacy can ever be temporary? That's a good question. You know, it goes back to this idea that anything uploaded to the internet is never truly anonymous or private because hackers will find a way to access it or it could be unintentionally leaked. Um, one of the, you know, when I worked at the National Security Agency, I worked with um, very sensitive information, intelligence, but we were also collecting big data, which is essentially data that's out there and could potentially be analyzed in the future, but was kind of data at rest. And I think that it's, that's something to consider right now is that there are great benefits to collecting big data um, and this data at rest, such as geolocation, Bluetooth tracking, contact tracing. Um, even though the, the governments are saying right now they're not using that for any other purpose but to, to help prevent the spread of coronavirus, that's not to say that there are not malicious people that would use that for other purposes, which is why so many people are concerned with the collection of big data. And so I think it's, you know, like I said earlier, it's, it's important for our governments to be very transparent and accountable. There needs to be multiple layers of accountability um, to prevent, let's say, corruption, bribery, or the misuse of this information that is private to people's lives. And post-COVID-19, what does that world look like for you? Will this be creating a new norm? Will mm. we go back to what it was? Yeah, like the mention of this being a precedence, my main concern is that in the future, like who knows what the next event will be, but the technology is already in place and they already know how to operate it within their population. So what would be next? Would it be you know, uh, an imminent attack or could it be used to trace um, criminal activity or you just never know what the next use case will be um, because the technology is already there and the process is already in place. And how do you think this might impact the citizen and the state, that relationship? Well, it could be great. <laughs> it could open a new conversation. Um, and it could increase awareness of privacy issues in the, in the world. Um, and, you know, hopefully it helps people to, it encourages people to reach out to their politicians, their representatives, um, to become more active in voting for or against these types of policies. Um, and speaking of voting, it would be a great idea to have a vote on issues like this or new policies. You know, I, I know voting is rather difficult right now in person, physically going to vote, but online voting or census type of surveys can be done among a population to kind of um, gauge a population's openness to this type of technology. As you said, you know, it'll take time to make sure that this is put in place correctly. Mm -hmm. Do we have time on our hands? 
Well, that's the problem is um, in an emergency or a time, you know, it's like in a trauma, basically, you have to make very quick decisions and weigh the risks and benefits. It seems to me like that's what many of these governments are doing right now is trying to act swiftly, but also take into consideration the risks. Um, I think if, if you wait too long, it could endanger the population. Um, much like we saw some of our governments were hesitant to act about coronavirus and meanwhile it was spreading very quickly. Um, so I definitely, you know, I would recommend that they assemble a, let's say, um, a board or a panel of experts from public and private sector for the accountability factor. Get them together, get their thoughts together, um, you know, start doing the testing immediately and try to roll it out as soon as possible. Great. Well, thank you very much, Charity. It's been really, really interesting. And we'll obviously be watching this topic um, and how it evolves in the coming weeks. Many thanks to Charity. Do get in touch with us with your thoughts on this topic. Curious to know your views about this new precedent Charity spoke about. If you'd like this, do like, rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you so much for all your support. Stay safe and well and join us next time for more Cyber Conversations.